A reading from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove what, approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello again. Uh, allow me to pray as we seek to hear from God's Word. So bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here today and to be here this fall as we are um, beginning a new series in the book of Philippians. And, and so um, we're going to look back at a little bit of our church's history in just a minute, but I do want to make note that next week, as we continue in this series, I'm going to be inviting someone to be interviewed with me. Uh, if you read uh, the second half of Philippians 1, it's God's presence with us in and through our suffering. And I'll be interviewing my wife as she shares about how she went through a real dark night of the soul season, a, a season of depression. And so if you can relate to that or you know others that may benefit from that, please invite them to the Dano Island Fellowship next week uh, to hear Carly's story um, and from God's story from the book of Philippians. Today's message is titled A Heart of Gratitude and I want to begin with a question. When was the last time your heart gushed with gratitude? When was the last time your heart gushed with gratitude? Thinking about this question and thinking about Philippians, I go back to last fall, fall of 2016, and on the way to church, I couldn't help but notice over and over and over again a vacant piece of property on the left-hand side. I would drive from Daniel Island, cross Beardsford Creek, and there on the left-hand side, there's this beautiful piece of property that had been cleared. And it's like God would turn my head towards it as we drove by. Here's a picture of the property um, with the beautiful um, picture of the sun and the land and the forest that surrounds it. It's 7.7 .7 acres. We would come to discover 
And for those who don't know exactly where I'm talking about, here's the little map. Um, it's halfway between Clements Ferry Road and really Beardsford Creek or, or Blackbaud on the right-hand side. It's got a big for sale sign that is actually obsolete at this point. But it was if God was saying to me, Paul, for the Daniel Island Fellowship, love in the now, yet lead into the not yet. Love your people in the now, but lead into the not yet. And what that meant for me, it was clear. We're leasing this property that we're sitting in today, but this is not uh, what we believe is going to be our long-term home. So we began this process of praying, well, God, should we try to acquire this piece of land that one day we could build a building on for our church's future? You see, there are no old buildings as we went to launch this church that we could you know, revive, renew, and buy. And so it's kind of a bottom-up approach. We literally started to pray, God, would you give us this land? And our team, our staff, and our board of directors, we committed to lots of prayer and due diligence. We, we hired uh, uh, architectural firms. We hired engineering firms. We did something called a phase one analysis. Does anyone know? You can bob your head if you do. If you don't, that's okay. You can say, no, Paul, I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. We studied the soil. We studied the wetlands. We studied the utilities. And we did all this work. And as I was preparing for today's message, I thought, well, I wonder how much communication uh, I did with this. And I have this little file in my inbox of my email account. I have, to this day, 355 emails in that file that were devoted to this land project. More than that, I took the Amendolias, we took the McSwains, we took our staff out there, we took others out there, and we walked the property. In fact, our staff went to each corner of the property, prayed scriptures over that property. I don't know if any of you have ever done a prayer walk, but we were, we were prayer walking. And let me assure you something. There are mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds out there. <laughs> so be careful. Um, and it took us a while to do all the due diligence because that property is a unique property. It doesn't have a lot of public utilities to it, and we didn't know if it's zoned in the right way to be a church facility down the road. And when we finally felt, yes, this property will work, was at the end of May, early June. And guess what? We had one more month that the owner of the property would allow us to discern whether we were going to buy that property. In other words, we had only one more month of due diligence. And instead of walking away from the challenge, I felt God was calling us to actually lean into the challenge, to calibrate challenge in our own hearts and in our own church. And if you remember, some of you were with us, June 4th of this summer, I called an all-church meeting. And this quote seemed to be kind of the battle cry, if you will, the call to lean into prayer about this opportunity. It's from Corey Tinboom, And it reads, Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. So we presented the opportunity on June 4th as a leadership team, and we said, hey, good news, we have this opportunity, and we have three weeks to raise $650,000. Surprise! And um, some were scared, some were excited. And, uh, and, and we just created space. 
We actually created a website called faithsees.com. It's actually still up and it shares about the land. It shares about the opportunity. And for three weeks, we leaned into prayer as as a community of faith. Three days before the deadline of June 25th, uh, I wrote this email. We have just a few more days to determine whether we have the capacity to acquire the 7.7 acres of land. And to date, we have heard from over 20 families and have commitments of $320,000, which is incredible. That leaves us with $330,000 needing to be raised to reach the purchase price of $650,000. We invite you to continue to pray about how God may be calling you to participate with us in this legacy opportunity. Now let me tell you a little bit more of the backstory here. For some of you and some of us, we're new to faith and we're new to this church, so even the idea of tithing is foreign to us. The idea that we give the first fruits of our time, talent, and treasure to God, the first 10%, And my board is like, I think we're a little crazy because we're still trying to make ends meet every month and we're trying to buy property. And honestly, we just felt like God saying, yes, present this to the people. So three days before, we were still a few hundred thousand dollars short. One of the leaders came up to me during uh, the June 25th service, which was the deadline, and he said, are we going to make it? As if I had some secret secret sauce, some secret answer. There was no secret answer. All I know is that morning I came here and I kneeled before the pulpit and I prayed, God, thy will be done here in this community of faith as you see fit. And I get up to preach and some of you start texting me during my sermon. And I keep my phone on vibrate mode for emergencies and so it starts going and I didn't know what was happening. And um, Some of you said, hey, we feel called to do this. You are late-minute people, some of you. The very last minute. And so after the service, that same leader uh, was was responsible with a group of us of counting um, the money, and he said, are we going to make it? And then he starts reading the commitments, and he starts counting the checks. And like a giddy little school child, he's like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. And we made it. And we raised $659,000 in three weeks. Shortly thereafter, I received this email from someone who's sitting in this room right now. I won't read all of it because it's long, but it reads as follows. Paul, I want to offer a few observations and opinions that I believe I will remember for the rest of my life. Number one, Pastor Jerry said it best this week when he offered that in all of his years in ministry, he had never personally witnessed a true modern-day miracle until now. And we fully agree. The move of God that came over our church in a three-week window to cause this to happen is truly a modern-day miracle. There's simply no other way to explain it. Number two, in my experience with most capital gift campaigns, A participation level of 25 to 50% is the stated target. See, he's getting specific here. And 20 to 30% is considered a huge success by all standards with an embarrassing low 10% buy-in level being pretty common. 
for us to reportedly have a 96% participation level of all of our giving units is absolutely unheard of in any church or secular campaign I've ever seen or even read about. It is, however, perfectly explained by stating once again, it was a miracle. Finally, I think God has cobbled together a group of the most unlikely Christian misfits from all, that's a compliment, from all over the place and brought them together in such a way as to establish an amazing platform for this simple little fellowship known as DIFF. It is my hope that all these believers and more will now begin to find fellowship, growth, and encouragement doing life together as we all pull in behind you and Carly and press on toward the goal that Christ himself has set before us. What a fabulous way to start this amazing journey. Proud to serve a risen Savior. Amen? The point is this. A heart that receives good news gushes with gratitude. A heart that receives good news cannot help but gush with gratitude. And that was the case with the, what we call the Diff Land Project. And friends, that is the beautiful truth behind this book known as Philippians. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the writer Paul, the renegade Paul, is gushing with gratitude as he writes this letter to this early church in a city called Philippi. The backstory of the book is this. It all began with a dream. Some of the dream was captured in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 16. Paul had come to faith and become a radical missionary, traveling on these missionary journeys. And what did he do? He started churches like the Daniel Island Fellowship and other churches. And he was going to go on a second missionary journey to encourage those churches and to help launch new churches. And he started to go towards one city, and he felt God say, no, not that city. He started to go towards another city, and he felt like, no, that, not that city. So he went in prayer, and in that time of prayer, he had a vision. He had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come and help us. Now here's what's unique about Macedonia. It's in the northern part of Greece, and it represented a new footprint for the gospel. It represented Europe. So Paul and three other misfits in the gospel, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. I know we have some doctors in the room. Can I get an amen? Luke was a doctor, Brett. He was a doctor. He wanted in on the journey. He wanted in on the mission. So the four of them left. They traveled for a couple days. They went to Philippi, the city. And they, as is their custom, or was their custom, they looked for the men in, in the synagogue. They couldn't find the men, that, uh, uh, or they couldn't find a synagogue. What they did find was a group of dedicated, prayerful women. So God answered the prayer, not with a man, but with a woman. Her name was Lydia. Paul met Lydia and this group of women at this river right outside the town, and immediately the gospel took root. Lydia that day had all of her family baptized. We read about this in Acts chapter 16. And the church in Philippi started under the leadership of Lydia in her own home. So the backdrop, the backstory of this book is that it started with a dream. It started with a woman 
And it was the first of its kind. It's the first church plant in Europe that's recorded. And to that end, it was also Paul's favorite church. He did play favorites, and you can tell as we unpack this letter over the next few months, he gushed with gratitude as he thought about them. But if you know anything about Paul and you know anything about the gospel, the call to gratitude wasn't a simple emotion. We think of gratitude, we think of joy, we think of happiness. For Paul, gratitude represented a call to action. And that call of action is not just fitting for that day, it's fitting for this day. So here's what our passage has to teach us. We're going to unpack these three simple points very quickly and see how they apply. The, big, excuse me, the beginning of the book of Philippians is basically this. Grounded in gratitude, we're called to partner, trust, and grow in the gospel together. Let me say it a different way. The point of our passage is grounded in gratitude, we're called to partner, number one, trust, number two, and grow in the gospel together. Number one, we're called to partner in the gospel together. We read, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your, what? Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Andrew, my British friend, these are loopy words, right? They're gushing words. They're hard to say. And Paul is just oozing with gratitude as he writes this letter. The irony is he's writing from a prison cell because he'd been arrested uh, in Rome and he's just writing to them saying, I am so thankful for you and I'm writing to encourage you to live a life of partnership, trust, and growth. I thank my God every time I even think of you. It brings me to joy. The point is this. When we start to understand the gospel our focus becomes more about people and partnership and less about things. Let me ask a self-reflective question. When you pray and give thanks, what are you giving thanks for? Those of you who pray in the room. Do you thank God for your job? Do you thank God for your car? Do you thank God for your house? Those are all fine. For Paul, the thing he prayed and gave thanks for, first and foremost, were those people partnered in the gospel in his life. Paul thanked God for people, not things. This word partnership's interesting. It comes from a Greek word named koinonia. Anyone heard of that word before? Koinonia. No one's raising their hands. That's okay. Because the beauty of this word is it's literally translated fellowship, i.e. the Daniel Island Fellowship. But it's not just a simple social fellowship. It's not, we're going to get together and run together. We're going to get together and drink together. We're going to get together and barbecue together. That's fine and dandy. But this is a deep, rich commitment, knowing that we belong to God and we belong to one another as sons and daughters of God. Paul is saying, when I think of you or I remember you, I'm thrust into joy I'm thrust into gratitude because together we're committed to God and our community. Tim Keller, in writing about community, has this to say. Community grows naturally out of shared experience. 
And the more intense the experience, the more intense the community. Community comes together around deep beliefs and causes or, or powerful common experiences like going through a flood or battle together and surviving. When they, people, come through it together, it becomes the basis for a deep, permanent bond stronger than blood. Paul loved the church of Philippi, and the church in Philippi loved Paul. They shared the depth of the gospel message together. This book was written years after he first met them, years after he had started or quote-unquote planted the church. So grounded in gratitude, we're called to partner together in the gospel. Point number two, we're called to trust in the gospel together. Let me tell you what this does not look like or sound like. A friend of mine posted this on social media yesterday. It's a political sign. I'm not sure who this gentleman is. His name's Yun Yun Soto, but he has this message to share. Quote, I will do my best, but I cannot promise anything. End quote. I'm not sure, Jun Jun, that that's a good message to send out as you're seeking election. I'll do my best but I can't promise a thing, okay? Jun Jun, you can come up with a better motto. You know, and so as we look to this passage, Paul is saying just the opposite. He says, quote, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The point here in trusting God is when we come to understand the gospel, we can look beyond the moment to the maker. No matter what you're facing in the moment, you can look beyond that moment to the maker. Anyone here been to Florence before? One, two. Anyone here seen the statue of David in person before? Okay. Okay. So the story of the statue of David, I think this illustration really nails this point. Uh, the church in Florence, the cathedral in Florence was commissioned um, actually even in the early 1400s, but it didn't begin to be carved until 1464. And this huge statue of David that was commissioned by uh, the cathedral there was going to end up being 14 feet high, but originally it looked like this huge block of marble. And as it began in 1464, uh, the history says that essentially the first guy began to carve out uh, the sculpture and ended up quitting. Some say he quit because of the imperfections in the marble. He couldn't handle it. And so they commissioned a second artist. And what do you think happened with the second artist? He began to work on the project, and I think he either quit or was fired, and he didn't complete the statue, the sculpture of David. And so this huge marble slab sat in the weather for 25 years until 1501, when this young buck, 26 years old, his name was? Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Yeah, that was a real person was commissioned, was given the job to carve out of this block, out of this block of imperfection, the statue of David. 
You see, he saw something in the block that others couldn't see, despite the imperfections. And in 1504, he unveils this masterpiece. The detail is supposedly exquisite. And it's a picture of David preparing to meet Goliath in battle. And there's a humility anchored with confidence in the Lord in David's eyes and in his posture. And he's holding the sling with which he would take down Goliath. Michelangelo worked day and night. He would work often. It was an open area, but he would work in secrecy, but even through torrential rains, unveiling this statue. You see, for him, he saw something beautiful. He saw something that wasn't yet complete. He was the artist that needed to see the process finished. He needed to see the statue unveiled. So it is with us. And so it is with this passage. What Paul is saying to the Philippians is, no matter your story in the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come, Matt. He's not done with you yet. You can have assurance not in who you are, but who He is. He's the great maker. He's the great master, the artist. And He's not through with you and with us yet. We can trust Him in the process. Point number three. We're called to grow in the Gospel together. And... This is my prayer, Paul writes, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're called to grow together. And what this means is the more we learn about God, the more we fall in love with Him. So let me let you in on a little secret. To love my wife Carly well, I had to learn about her. This idea of growing in love through growing in knowledge and depth of insight, it's not just about simple emotion. It's about study. It's about curiosity. It's about a longing to love and get to know that person more. So for instance... I learned with my wife that she likes a little coffee with her cream in the morning. Okay, you got that? Um, I learned that she has a secret addiction to dark chocolate Reese's peanut butter cups that are produced by Trader Joe's. Anyone had those before? We got a witness in the back. Ashley Lewis. Yes, hands up. How about York peppermint patties? Those are also a nemesis for my wife Carly. I learned through the 19 years of marriage that she's kind of like a balloon. She'll, she'll let stuff pressure build up, let pressure build up, let pressure build up. And if it's not tied off at the end or if it's not released, what happens with a balloon that, a balloon that has all that pressure and it's released? It either pops or it goes and you run for cover, okay? You say, kids, get down. 
find cover, get in the closet. Because a few times a year, she just will lose it. And hers is a little more heightened. Mine is a little more consistent, you know. This happens in all friendships, relationships, marriages. It's normal. You just got to learn about that person in order to, to love that person. How about this one? I learn when there's major decisions to be made in my marriage. Not, Carly doesn't need pressure. She needs time. She needs space. You know, in psychological language, I'm the pursuer, she's the withdrawer. If I say, hey, here's what we're thinking. How about a vacation here or this or that? If I say, I need to know and I need to know now and I need to know actually five seconds ago, ooh, that doesn't go so well. So I just present the opportunity and I say, let's, can you process and pray about that and let's converse about that a little later. She's like, thank you so much. You know me so well. It's not always that smooth, guys. But the point is, the point is when Paul's writing, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you can be filled. Let me ask it like this. Do any of you in here want to grow in love? Paul's saying grow closer to God the source of love. How do we do that? We dive into the Word of God. We surround ourselves with other people in the same journey, in the same pursuit. In the Steve, uh, oh, I just outed your name. In the words of Steve, the guy who wrote the letter, with a band of misfits, seeking God's face afresh and anew, week in and week out. We do this together. So in summary, as we look at chapter 1, the first half of chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul is saying, grounded in gratitude, we're called to one partner, two trust, and three grow together in the gospel. So an invitation, a next step, if you will. Partnership. I have a challenge. I want each person in here that is a follower of Jesus, to when they leave today, think of one person that has positively impacted your faith journey and send them a text, give them a call, or send them an email and say thank you. One person to encourage that partnership to say thank you. Two, trust. I want you to think of one thing in your life that instead of clenching your fist, you can release your fist and lean into God saying, I, I'm choosing God to trust not this moment, but you, my maker. Uh, the Young Professionals community group met last Tuesday and we shared prayer requests at the end of the night and someone said, well, my brother, he's just entered rehab for the fifth time. Another said, I failed my bar exam. I need prayer. And the prayer requests were shared and together we prayed and trusted the God with the gospel, with this good news. And number three, grow together. What's one simple way you can grow closer to God this week? My wife asked me to share a little of my story of how I do this day in, day out, week in and week out. 
It's really simple. At Christmas, our church gave away these books called Everyday Prayers, which was written by Scotty Smith. If you didn't get one and you can't afford to get one, we'll buy one for you. But there's one-page devotionals where there's a scripture and then Scotty writes a prayer. And I simply spend 5, 10, 15 minutes, first thing in the morning, just quietly reading this, letting it soak in, and lifting up the prayer to God with Scotty. My staff does this as well. Every day. Simple way to start the day. To meditate on God's Word. Another thing I do is there's typically a, a book of the Bible or a passage that I tend to study and dive deeper into. Believe it or not, it's the book of Philippians right now. And so I uh, like to study and grow beyond just a simple meditation in the morning, spend uh, some significant time during the week. And of course, I'm a lead pastor, so I'm required to do that, right? But last but not least, our, our staff in our community groups, they pray. And we commit to pray together. Our staff gets together every Thursday morning and we pray. We actually worship together and we pray together to grow closer and grow up in God together. I invite you once again to find a community group with whom you can, wherever you're at in your journey, someone said in the first service, what if I don't like to talk in public? That's okay, just share that with your leader. We do food and drink and fun really well in this church. It's a high priority for us. The first miracle that Jesus uh, did and performed was at a feast. Made 900 bottles of the finest wine. And we like to get together so as to grow together. So, partner, who are you going to thank? Two, um, trust. How are you going to lean into God even today with whatever situation, be it marriage, parenting, vocation? Trust Him afresh and anew. And three, commit to growing together, perhaps through a community group. So, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this word I thank you for the Apostle Paul for these words that serve as a bit of a road map for us as we continue to grow up like the Church of Philippi. God, grow us individually and collectively. We want to be partnered together. We want to trust together. We want to grow together for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name.